I, I then I started looking up the chords that they made Billboard top top Billboard hits. Mm. And the industry is real. Not everybody's built for that shit. Right. That's a million dollar question. I have no idea. It's it's a lot of money out here to be had. So mm. welcome back to another episode of the Producer Grind Podcast. Carrington L. Whitney. Yo, what's good? We got a very special guest on the show today. This AR singer, songwriter, and producer has worked with Timbaland, Travis Scott, Future, Yo Gotti, Fifth Harmony, Kid Art, Benny Chase, Rick Ross, and ATL Jacob. Please welcome to the show, Aaron Reed. Yes, sir. Thank, Thank you for you. having me. Thank you for joining us, brother. Absolutely. How you feeling today, bro? I'm awesome, man. Yeah, killing them cheeses, I'm a, huh? I'm a, I'm a little tired. I've been traveling a lot. Like, this weekend was, like, kind of crazy. It was, it was Hit Co. weekend. You know, we had Streets Fest. We had Bonfire event on Peachtree. Mm. Yeah, I just came back from New York last week. We had, like, iHeartRadio, we had Hitco Showcase, Yes Jewel, there's just so much going on. It's just, I feel really good, man. What's this Hitco you talking about? Hitco is our label. Okay. This is our this is our, our new company. Um, My dad's new company. Hitco was a publishing company, now it's a label. We have 16 artists. Okay. And um, man, we're taking over, bro. So how'd like, you get your start as an A&R? Like we know your dad at LA reading everything, but. Okay, yeah, sorry. So, I started AR. I started AR at Epic mm-hmm. five years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and like I went from being a songwriter and artist to being AR. And it was kind of just like a position that, you know, presented itself to me. And I was like, I wasn't sure about it at first. And then I just did it because I felt like, you know, this can help me with my career. This can help me know more. This can help me just in general. So why not? Like, you know, a lot of producers and people don't know about the business. People are just like creative people. I'm one of those people that I want to know about all of it. So I took the job, you know? So it was like, it was dope, man. It was super, super dope. Like within my first like couple of months, there was like so much happening already. I was just like, man, this is incredible. You know? Well, you said you learned a lot from that experience. What'd you learn? Man, um... I learned how to manage artists. I learned how to manage expectations. I learned how to turn in albums, singles, deadlines. I learned how to deal with admin, marketing, promotion, legal. I learned how to clear samples. I learned how to pay producers. I learned so much, man. Now, what was your background like before you even, you said you were a songwriter first. Now, was that your original dream or? Um, I've always wanted to be an artist. Mm -hmm. And then, um, like, I dropped out of college. I dropped out of Morehouse to just, like, produce like I wanted to just make music <clears throat> and when I dropped out of school I really didn't know like what I was doing I just like had this like passion for it I really wanted to do it for producing mm-hmm. like so after that I dropped out of school and then I put out my first single as an artist it's called crazy love I put that out like years ago and it debuted at number 93 on billboard oh wow and it started spinning on the radio and stuff like that it got like a few thousand you know like 15,000 spins or something like that and then I started like showing up on like BDS and started like showing up on media base at labels and stuff. So actually it's funny because my guy, somebody at Island Def Jam brought like a media base sheet to my dad and was like, yo, there's this kid that's like spinning. And I was out spinning like Rihanna, Big Sean, all this. And it was me. Mm. And he was like, yo, this is my son. So um, Your dad didn't even know you had a record that hot? Well, he knew I had a record, but he didn't know it was like moving. Yeah, and that's interesting. we had like... Did he help like you? Did he out. help you push it, promote it? Very lightly, mm. very lightly. He was like, he liked it. Rihanna came over to our house for Thanksgiving, and he was <laughs> just like, a light Thanksgiving, right? right? Well, it was crazy because like Kanye showed up. Right? This was like right after his mom died, so he didn't have mm. really nobody 
with him. It was just him and his cousin, Ricky, showed up to our house <clears throat> for Thanksgiving. And I actually played Kanye the song. And he, told, he asked me to send him the instrumental because he wanted to do a verse on it. So I sent it to him. He didn't end up doing the verse. That was like right before he did like E.T. for Katy Perry. Mm -hmm. And he was like really busy during that time. So the same day Rihanna showed up, he was, first of all, he was like, yo, this is incredible. Like, he was like, you sound awesome. I was singing. Like, it was just dope. It was musical. Then Rihanna heard it. And when she heard it at my house, she was like, LA, who is this? <laughs> and he was like, this is Aaron. And then she looked at me and she was like, really? And then she said, well, duh. <laughs> right? And then when she said that, I was just like, man, like, this is really for me. This is, this shit is for me, for real. You know, I'm sorry for my language, but oh, no, um, you say whatever the fuck you want to say on Yeah, here. man. Uh, oh well, fuck it then. <laughs> um, so yeah, that that happened, and then um, I kind of got sidetracked. Where where were we? No, so we were just kind of talking about um your record, your solo career. But one thing I did mm. want to ask you about: so when you started making beats and you were kind of um you know making those records, what were you using? I was making beats on GarageBand when I first started. Oh, wow. Right. So when I say I was like brand brand new. I had messed around on NPCs and stuff like that. I had like little equipment, but I didn't know the programs. I didn't know how to make, you know, a beat really. Mm -hmm. So I, I started making beats on GarageBand and then I gave my like first beats, second beat, something like that. I made like in my dorm room, made like a song with my friends and I gave it to my brother. Next thing I know, he played that for Young Jock and then, the thing, then his group has my record and they remade the record. I was just like, yo, that was my first time being like, yo, he, it was a song I made in my dorm room. He just took it, like, you know? So that was the first time I kind of got jugged. By your brother? Music. No, not by my brother. Oh, by Jock. Jock. Oh, Jock. Okay, yeah. okay. So but it was whatever. You you wrote and um and produced that first song that you said that, uh, you know, made it, made it to the radio? Yeah. I didn't produce it. I wrote it. Oh, you didn't produce it? Yeah, I wrote it. the okay. whole song. Cause, my cause boy guess, Avery, who um is signed to Swiss Beats, he he did the beat. Gotcha. Because yeah. I guess my question from there was going to be, what does, you know, 15,000 spins look like for a producer? What does that equate <laughs> mm -hmm. to for a producer? Um, well, 15,000 spins, you know, it can, it can debut at, at Billboard. That's, it's all right. It's, it's a good start. You know, it, it is, it's a good pickup. I would say that, you know, but you would definitely need like a follow up. You would need some more like push. Like I would say that if they didn't stop kind of like pushing the song, because it was a transition, we were, we were leaving where we were the company. So like they kind of stopped promoting mm. and like low key, like there were people helping promote the record, like outside and like inside. Um, but like it kind of stopped. Uh, so it just, it didn't really see what it could have. You yeah. know what I mean? And what, what does uh, what does that label promotion look like? Like what type of things, you know, they do to push the record? Um, relationships, just mm. like mix show radio and like really calling DJs and just being like, Hey, we have this new artist. You should, you know, check them out. You know, now I got a question. How often do you get, um, especially back when you were more of an artist, how often did people accredit your success just to your dad or to your family? Man, every every chance that they get. But it's like when you hear the music, it's just like, dang, this is dope. Like mm -hmm. this is this is really dope. You know, at a certain point, somebody just has to be dope at what they do. It's not like based on who they are, or mm -hmm. what they come from. You just got to be dope. For Would you say to like you? So it sounds like a little, a lot of your experience is not typical. Like it wouldn't be typical success, success, but you're saying you're backing it with the actual high quality music. So do you feel like how much of a role do you think um, the family that you come from played in and then versus how much of it was talent? Like, do you think. Um, you mean just to like, to my talent? Yeah, just like, like, cause the average producer or an average songwriter, their first song is most likely not going to top one. Bill yeah, not, yeah. you know what I mean? So yeah. how do you break through that stigma or how do you break just, uh 
separate yourself from your family's name? Man, I, I don't, I, I never want to separate myself from my family's name. You mm-hmm. know, I just want to make my, my own legacy. I want mm-hmm. people to respect what I do. But the truth is I, I, I want to uphold my family legacy and make mm-hmm. it stronger than it's ever been. So That's I'm not running from it. At, a, at one point in my career, I was running from it because I felt like people wouldn't accept me. And now I'm like, if you don't accept me for who I am and what I do, then I don't want you to. I don't need mm-hmm. you to. So like, you know, my, my name is Aaron Reed. That's not going to change. It is what it is. You know what I mean? When you say the name Reed in this city, it, it makes sense. People mm-hmm. get it. And I want that to continue, that's you know? Saying. But one thing that's dope though, for me is your name was brought up by other guests that we've had in here before. So your name, you know what I'm saying? Carries wow. that strength and proceeds it. We, we were sitting here talking like there's three different guests who brought your name up already before wow. they've been in here. So that just kind of speaks to what you've done anyway. Like, so. cool. Um, I think ATL Jacob. It's my brother. Um, Shauna Reed and yeah. Caveman. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Young Land. Land. Yeah, man. These are these are all great people. Yeah. You know, hard workers, like really just dope people. I love that. I love that because it just, it kind of gives you guys more of an insight on what I do. It's, yeah, it's exactly. Not, it's not a forced thing. This is like, People really, they mess with it. You know what I'm saying? They really fuck with it for real. So I'm happy, man. And so with that being said, one thing that kind of came to us was that you were instrumental in kind of getting Future's career started. Can you talk about that a little bit? So like in the beginning, when I was working with Future, uh, I didn't sign Future. Benny Pugh signed Future, who is now the head of uh, Rock Nation. Um, He's, um, he signed Future, actually. He's a radio guy and people don't really know that. Um, what I did with Future was not necessarily just music. I really helped Future um, with his style and, I, and like fashion, mm. lifestyle, kind of like mindset, rock star mentality. That was more of my, my role with Future. And that was like right after, that was right before Pluto. That was like really in the beginning. After all, of course, like all the mixtapes and like magic and all that stuff. But it was like right in that space where he was like doing shows with Miguel and Marsha Ambrosia and like, you know, just like really breaking. And then um, me and him were just like this, like just really close, man. And like, I would just like put certain things on him. Like, yo, you're not a rapper. You're a rock star. Don't think about rap. Like you're a rock star, bro. And that's kind of the mentality that I've given to all of my artists that I work with. Travis, Future, Skinny. It doesn't matter who it is. Like I, I always paint, you know, the rock star image. It's not about rap. You know, urban music is the leading genre of music. But if we fuse everything together, then we'll just be incredible. Mm. That's bro, how I you look really at touching it. the culture, bro, because we've had that conversation about this is what future was at this time. And this is kind of what he became. And you're kind of like you, you, you influence future and how you look. That's crazy, man. man Same thing with Travis that, Scott. Bro. And, then, you know, they're doing those big rays and he's climbing up on the thing. They look like rock concerts. I know, bro. That was the energy that I that I really wanted to push to them. Like, yo, like. Travis especially, you know, because he had that energy. Yeah. Tra- Future was like, you could just see Rockstar on him, but Travis is more like a punk exactly. star. And I like really- Like Mosh Piss type Yeah, me stuff. and him, like me and Travis, man, I, I love that kid. I credit him every day because he's a, he's a huge part of my career as well. Because like working with Travis, you know, I have a certain standard of artists that I work with or in a certain criteria of things that I look for in artists after working with somebody like Travis, you know, you have to be amazing. And you have to be willing to push the boundaries and push the limits, you know, and, and just want to be different. That's, that was. Speaking of um, pushing boundaries and pushing the limit, there was like a transition period from when rap really started almost taking in like a punk influence, mm-hmm. started getting that more mosh pit. That festival. The, you mean yeah, like, yeah. You, you like, like 
pump and perp and all that you, you yeah mean like, that's that's more recent but like just as that movement started to happen did you ever have any pushback that people would tell you like yo that's whack because you know nah. when you have the traditional hip-hop heads like yo that's whack don't don't do that you know what because i was living in new york <clears throat> i saw a lot of hate mm. so new york is like kind of stuck in their ways they don't really you know if it's not new york then they don't really mess with it um so i saw a lot of that in new york mm-hmm. at first but then when I would travel, like I took Travis to South by Southwest for his first time. He did the Pandora show. He did this and that. So when I saw, when we went outside of New York, I started to see like, oh, wow. Like people really, really, really fuck with this. This is like, this is going to be big. You know, people say that you can use South by West as kind of like the visual yeah. turning point. Right. And yeah. how long have you been going to South by? A few like years, years, so, years. So when did you kind of start to see it? What year could you say? Um... 2014, 13, 14, mm-hmm. something like that. I started to see like, oh man, this is gonna be crazy. Like, you know, breaking stages, like, you know, the Ilmore stuff like that. Like that was, that's rock star to me, bro. You know? Would you say that's like a general culture change in the whole industry type of thing? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Mm-hmm. You mean South by? No, I'm saying what, you know, just that transition that you were talking about. Like that punk, like just kind of more. Definitely. Definitely, bro. Definitely. Where do you think that came from? Do you think that's from the suburban area? Well, I don't want to say suburban yeah. area, but suburban areas mm-hmm. being more influenced by rap. Yeah, I, I think that I I think that it comes from us feeding off all the energy, like studying, you know, the rock stars and studying the rappers, and like, you know, there's a lot more white kids at rap shows than there are black kids sometimes. <clears throat> so I just feel like we all mix. We're all supposed to be together. Mm-hmm. We're all supposed to feed off each other's energy. You know. Mm. I feel like um, this is just my opinion. But I feel like ASAP Rocky was one of the first artists I remember. Mm. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. That was just doing the outside the the definitely. demographic yeah. type festival. Yeah, definitely. You know I, mean? I remember when he first came out with that um that Skrillex and um what was oh, that joint? Wild for the night. Yes, bro. That, yeah, that was, was the cold. first time I ever heard anything like that. Fire. And mm-hmm. that kind of like embodied a, his style. Transition. His yeah. style, like, cause you know. It's about style too, not just music, right? Mm-hmm. So Rocky's style and his music played a huge role in like a lot of what's going on right now. Mm. Rocky is like, like genius, bro, for real. He you think really, they'll like, go down as one of the people that um kind of paved the like along with Travis a hundred percent? Because mm. when there was Travis, there was Future. I mean, um, ASAP. Mm. It was like either or. At that mm-hmm. point, you know what I'm saying? It was certain things that Travis didn't want to do because ASAP was doing it. Mm. It was certain things, you know, I'm sure on other sides, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. I would say Tyler like, Crater had like a big the part of it bandana too. to the yeah. front. Oh, 100%. Bandana to the front at that point was ASAP. Mm. So if you was doing that, then, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He brought yeah. the braids back kind of too. Yeah, yeah, he did. Yep. So uh, as, a, as an A&R, uh, what, do you, what do you look for, you know, in, in a new artist? Um, what do I look for in a new artist, man? I look for something really special. Like whatever it is that you do, I just want it to be different and special. Like if you're a rapper, I want your, I'm going to be drawn to your voice. You know what I'm saying? Your cadence, your voice, your style, your everything. If you're a singer, then you know, like I I, want to hear, I want to know what type of singer you are. Like if you're, if you're R&B, that's cool. Like that's, you know, like a little older for me I like like new R&B you know I like alternative a little bit different just I'm not the type of A&R that likes things um plain and, plain and simple and cookie cutter I'm not that's not I don't work best with artists like that I mm-hmm. work best with artists that 
are trying to figure it out. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Where they fit. Like style benders. Yeah, like, you know what I mean? Is, is that like a thing people are doing now? Um, to, I mean, I hear some people trying to figure it out. I hear some people evolving. Now, yeah. you know, I'm just asking. People are people are trying things. They're experimenting, bro. Like, you know, I, I, I feel like the message that I was conveying to Travis and Future conveyed to, like, the Everyone. rest of them. Mm-hmm. And now they're just trying things. Like, Trippy, X, you know what I'm saying? Like, they're all, like, if you ask me, like, I would have loved to sign and work with X because wow. he's like, you know, that's that level that I want to work with. Now, do you like, sign, do you have that. any producers that they signed to you? Yes, you I work do. With? I have a few. Yeah. Now, what do you look what do you look for in a producer? The same same different. thing. It de- it just depends on what you do. I want to know what you're great at, and then I'll know how to use it. Mm. You know what I mean? I like that. Meanings meaning like if you're great with melodies, then just make a whole bunch of melodies and then we'll just do the drums and everything. Or if you're great with drums, then I'll just have somebody come in that's great with melody and work with you. Or I'll give you guitar riffs of mine because I've been getting a lot of placements lately, just sending guitar riffs to producers like Pierre, Southside, mm. different people. So um that's been a thing for me as well. Like not just like sitting there making all the beats, like sending out guitar loops and then they send it back. Smash David, OG Parker, this one, that one. Like I have collabs with everybody right now just on guitars and like placements. And it's just crazy, man. The style is changing. And I'm happy because like this is the stuff that I'm excited about. This is the kind of shit that I love, you know? I grew up in the suburbs, so I love rock and I love hip hop and I love R&B. So if I can just mix it all, I'm with it, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So just rewinding it back a little bit and kind of like, the, the influences that brought you to this point, right? Yeah. We, we we touched a little bit about your uh, family legacy. Um, your father, music mogul, L.A. Reid. Um, mm-hmm. Your mother, R&B singer, Pebbles, and executive producer. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. She made a lot of songs I love. Like, yes. Like, like, <laughs> I'm just good because I, I knew who his dad was. And I was like, oh, his mom was Pebbles. Yeah, it's dope. What was it like to grow up in that kind of a household, right? Crazy, man. Crazy. Crazy. It, it was just incredible. I was just around artists 24-7. I saw so much, like, you know, I was a kid, so there was a lot that I didn't see, um, like in terms of the business, but I saw a lot of creative. And yeah. that's what got me, you know, made me fall in love with the studio and fall in love with being an artist and just like um, kind of like having an environment to house all of the creatives, you know, because that's what I that's what I have now. But that's what I'm building a place that I can just build to have creatives around me 24 seven. And just I have a studio and I have this and that and we can just work and live in here and mm. just be so it sounds like you like um are much more interactive like person to person do you and this brings me to my next question i wanted to ask um when producers send e- uh beats through email to yeah. a how successful is that and how realistic is it i don't I, I get so many that i i can't possibly listen to all of them i try my best to and you know i kind of like need someone to filter it out too. Cause I hear a lot of things that I don't like. And then I'm like, more, you know, the next person is like going to catch, you know, the left of, yeah, right. so, you know what I'm saying? Cause it's yeah. kind of like, if I'm taking a chance on somebody and I'm like, all right, you know what? I'm going to take a chance today. And I press play and I'm like, this is terrible. This is terrible. This is terrible. God, why did I even open this? <laughs> you know? And then it, it just, I, I don't know. It, it's successful, but it's really, about your approach. Like I'm more likely if somebody DMs me and he's like, yo, you know, we're talking about something or they say something and I'm like, yo, I appreciate it. Or, um, you know, I see something on their page and then I'm just more likely to listen, especially if one of my friends or somebody that I know knows them or vouches for them, you know, Mm. 
I'm just funny, man. I'm funny about what I put on my ears. So it sounds like, is it like the same thing we've been hearing from every guest that we have is it starts off with relationships. It starts Everything with relationships. always starts off with relationships. And I hate that because I know that a lot of people don't have relationships and I can't touch everybody. Mm-hmm. There's a way to get to us. You know what I'm saying? There is a way. So how would you recommend, especially in 2018, like you said, the DM, but uh, let's say someone lives in Iowa, doesn't really have, here we go. Yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> Last couple of episodes, he's always flaming Iowa. Uh, <laughs> but um, like someone that's in Iowa or whatever, you know, they tried the DM, they tried this, they tried that. How would you even recommend them like just getting a placement or? Man, it's it's a process. You know what I mean? It's it's a process. You never really know how it's going to happen. If it doesn't work with the A&R, try the artist. Mm. You know, and somebody's going to reach out to you at some point. It may not be in the time that you want it, but Mm. somebody will reach back out to you. It just, man, it's just like, you got to understand it's it's 10 million people trying to do the same thing. Mm. And, you know, there's only so many gatekeepers of this, right? A lot of people say that they do it, but a lot of people don't actually do it. So like, you know, when you have opportunities for people, you know, you're, you know, very selective of where you give those opportunities, basically, you know? It's like keep everything in-house. Yeah, because, I mean, people are funny, bro. You, you send me a beat, right? Oh, this is hard. Um, my artist wants to record on it. All right, cool. Like, you know, and then they hit you with the, oh, well, you can lease it and do this. No, bro, I'm trying to get you this placement. I don't want to hear about all your pricing. Okay, mm. I can get you more money than you're actually asking for right now. Just give me the files. I'll get the song done. Then we'll worry about all that. I'm not the type of dude that's going to take your credit. I'm not going to do none of that. But but there's so many people that are that there, type there of person. Are, there so are how, a lot of people. So but how does if, that? If, I, if we have a working relationship, then mm-hmm. we're definitely going to have to work something out. Because mm. I'm doing a lot of work for you, and I don't do work for free. Gotcha. So how are we going to do this? I you almost know? feel like you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. that guy that decides to be like, well, the pricing sheet, they don't understand the value. The value. They're, they're, the, they're the beat maker. They're not the producer. You know what I mean? They're the person that just clicks, you know, I can do that too. I make beats too, but I'm also a hit maker. I know how to make hits. I know how to literally take a record, take an artist and make it, just make it work, finish it, you know? And so that's the difference, man. And they, they, they shoot themselves by not listening to me and being like, yo, I got a play for you. Like send me the files. like, <laughs> And then they just make it difficult. So that's why I just don't give a lot of, chances out like that because i don't know how people are going to react sometimes you know it makes sense then you find people that's with it yeah when you find people that's with it you're like okay and it happens one time it happens again you're like yo why don't you come link up with me exactly then they're a part of your team you know you start collabing with them your producers start collabing with them and before you know it they got five placements in a week and you're like so what we doing (laughs) you know so one question I definitely want to ask is you've been in the game for a while yeah. as an A&R and it's clear to us after we've having this conversation, oh shit, you're good at what you do. Yeah. And there's a reason why you've been in the game so long. We've talked to a lot of producers who say that A&Rs, like, it's like they come and go like that. Most yeah. of them, right? Mm-hmm. Why? Um, Sycamore told me that the average lifespan of an A&R is three years, right? Um, <clears throat> and I think that that lasts at the label for three years. Like a lot of people go from this label to this label to this label to this mm. label. A and R is really about how on top of it you are, how ahead you are. What's your vision? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, I I pride myself on knowing the producers and the artists and the songwriters before they pop. Right? Other people might be really great at signing, or I, I don't know. Everybody has their own thing. You know what I mean? Um, but like, 
once you're an A&R and you do a certain thing and you stay doing that, you don't you don't go away. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? You don't really a label can't really dictate how long you do this. Like I did this at Epic for five years, but now I'm at Hitco where I'm not governed by an Epic or a Sony or a Universal or none of these companies. I do what I do and this is our company. So mm-hmm. they can't hire or fire me. You know what I'm saying? They can't they can't move what we're doing. It's like you you dictate how long you're in this for real. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just by your taste level, by you know, the work that you're willing to put in for real. I'm 28 years old. Like, you know what I mean? All these dudes are older than me. Like, I'm I'm a little bit older than some of the dudes that, you know, that I work with. But, like, I'm still young, right? So the older dudes, they look at me like, yo, this this young nigga is, like, he with it. He mm-hmm. gets it, you know? And, and I'm, like, looking at them like, man, like, you know, my producers are 17, 18 years old. And then I'm talking to, like, 50, 60-year-olds about, like, you know, how to finish records or how mm-hmm. to, you, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. It's just kind of, I'm in that middle. I'm in that, that like, I'm the youth, you know, but I'm a little bit more mature because I've seen more. Mm-hmm. So I can, like, teach the youth not how to be so dumb, you know? How just to inexperience. Wider, wiser decisions, you know? I just want to underscore the point you made earlier about it's not just about the music, right? Yeah. Sims just said that, right? It's about what you're wearing. It's about the culture. And I think that's one reason that a lot of people hit miss the mark, right? So mm-hmm. you hop on Instagram, you're just trying to find who can help you, find who can Find out what you like. Mm-hmm. Find out what your style is. Mm-hmm. Are you putting up cool shit on Instagram? Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, can, also, can you talk about like artists and their social media following, right? Where does mm-hmm. that kind of fall in line with the priorities? Um, it falls in line a lot. You know, your your social media following um, is going to dictate how much of a priority you kind of are. Mm. You know, because... Rappers are already intended to be popular by the time they get signed, right? Mm-hmm. Usually that's how it happens. You don't really find a lot of like unknown rap. Sometimes you find it, but like when a rapper gets signed, they've been courted by every label. They've been offered millions of dollars. You know, you know what happens all the time. You know what I mean? Um, so back to your question. What was your question? I'm sorry. <laughs> what, uh, what, what the fuck did I ask? I was thinking about, about the social media. Oh, social, oh, social media. Social media impact. Yeah. Um, so let's say that you have a million followers before you get a deal. You're going to get a few million dollars, you know, because you already have a million followers. I already got a follow. If you got 200,000, right. And you're streaming. All right. You're doing well. They're not going to give you a couple million dollars, but they might give you an M. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like they, it, your, your social media is kind of like your ranking. It mm-hmm. really is. Mm-hmm. Have you ever seen uh, Black Mirror? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, 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 that movie. That it's like no, exactly what episode it's was like, crazy. It's like they, you know, it's kind of how it is. Honestly, well, I pay. I just pay attention to that too because when I I haven't seen the episode, but so many people have told me about it that I've, I've thought about. So you it, knew exactly what I was saying. Yeah, like, that's your that's your currency when if you don't have money or anything else, that's like your currency basically. Mm-hmm. It's your value. How about that? It's your value in the market. As it's messed up value. as it sounds, it's the truth. It is. It if, is. You if, know, if you had to take an artist that had more followers or more more streams, what would you take? More streams. More streams. Oh yeah, because we can. Them followers is gonna come. We need them records to be playing. You know, mm-hmm. we need that. If you got a big following on Spotify or on Apple, like all we need to do is put you on the road, mm. and then you'll get the followers. Simple fix. I wouldn't. <laughs> All you got to do is do a promo run and put out a couple more hits and do some features and you're done. You're out of here. With these major labels, is there a lot of, you know, fake numbers going on where they boost the numbers and stuff mm. like that? I've heard, you know, things like that, but I never really had a chance to ask. Really um, I don't I don't really know 
I don't really know if they're, you know, boosting numbers, but I'll just say that everybody has relationships, you know, so they can make things happen. You know, your A&R's cousin might be the president of SoundCloud. You never know, mm-hmm. you know, so you can, you can always make things happen. There's always a way, but for the most part, I think organic growth is what people really look for. Cause they can tell if your shit is bought or not mm-hmm. on SoundCloud. You can tell if it's bought, you know, the reposts, you can tell if it's been promoted or advertised. You can tell if your Instagram is bought, you can tell if all that shit is bought. So mm-hmm. I feel like people are more like, careful about how they make those type of moves like yeah. nah because if i got if i got five thousand likes then i only the got 12 comments yeah, yeah, then yeah, that's yeah, burnt yeah, 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 you know yeah. what i'm saying so crazy yeah i feel like they're being more careful about that now what about you just mentioned you know like people that pay for promo and stuff like like not fake promo like real promo. real promo how do you feel about that that's great you got to like shoot like you know what i'm saying if it, if it works it works you know um sometimes you see records like just come out and they're just on SoundCloud. And then next thing you know, they're trending on SoundCloud. Like, how? You know, it happened from somewhere. Somebody had some relationships. They were able to do some reposting, some influencer, you know, marketing, some this, this, and that. And then before you know it, they got a million streams. And then they're getting calls from labels. Mm. That's how it goes. If you're an independent artist, you know, just starting out and, you know, you don't have the biggest budget, you know, you just got, you know, a few thousand dollars here and there to spend. Where are you, where are you, you know, spending that budget? Uh, if you have a few thousand dollars to spend in your new artists, um, I mean, I would put it online. Like I, I would shoot visuals. Mm-hmm. I would find somebody that can help you, you know, uh, promo your music on SoundCloud or find a rep, somebody that can help you get verified or get an account on Spotify. Like I would, I would really put the money online, not on the radio, not like, you know what I'm saying? In, in the streets too, you know, merch obviously. And like, you know, things that are visible, I would. That's how I would spend the money. How would you go about merch in not a corny way? Mm-hmm. Uh, what do you mean? Everybody can have a t-shirt. Anybody can have a t-shirt. Be like, yo, buy my shirt. How would you do merch? Um, well, my mine would be more like lifestyle driven because I smoke, right? So I would buy like What's lighters your favorite strain? and like. Uh, oh, we've been dying to ask that question. Every guess. I I really like. I love. I'll get back to your question. I love like hybrids. So like. A lot of cookies or like uh, sherbet or like um, biscotti, all these weird little, you know, they're dope. I, I like them all. Have you tried the runs yet? Yeah, I tried runs. My boy is the originator of runs, actually. Oh, okay. I love biscotti cookies. They got <laughs> I love cookie burners, cookies. I love um, KK. I love, I don't know, I'm a wee head. <laughs> I love Biscotti's but, cookie butter, the actual cookie butter in the jar. Yeah. Oh, that's fire. I'm at the rock with that. Um, what we we were talking about some merch. Merch. merch, merch, yeah, corny way to do merch. I can't. <laughs> um, so yeah, oh, I, would, I would use more like lifestyle stuff. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I would do, you know, pop up shops like what Bari does for Vlone. Like I would mm. do stuff like that. Like you know, more like, you know, I might hire somebody to do airbrushing, or I might hire somebody to do like Swarovski crystal, like something that's just a little bit flyer than just like. A screen t-shirt. print, screen Got print, you. screen print, press out, sell. Like that's burnt to me, you know? You were, you said you were in New York for a little while, right? And, uh-huh, and yeah. I feel like that pop-up thing kind of originated out of New York. Like, can you yeah. talk about how that became popular? The pop-ups? Um, y'all, I'm not going to lie. Like one day it was just kind of a thing. <laughs> like, <laughs> it just randomly happened. Right, one day it was kind of just like, yeah, we're going to do a pop-up at um, a, a, a secret location. And we'll mm-hmm. give the location an hour before yeah. the event. And then it was like, you know, it kind of like, 
I started doing it with Travis. Like, yeah. we would do a pop-up performance, not just a pop-up shop, a pop-up performance. Like, an hour, you know, in an hour, we're going to put up the location for the pop-up performance. It's only going to be up for an hour. So you have to make it to the location in order, and you have to be online to see it. It's just like, it's just mm. crazy. You know, just kind of just spur the moment. And that to me is like, that's punk. Yeah. That's some punk right. shit. That's like when all your fans just mosh and they just meet you there. And then if you were there, you were there type shit. You know, <clears throat> it's like bait. Like if you know that, you yeah, know, yeah. you know, yeah. or like Supreme, like whatever, you know, it's exclusive. So, and it's usually invite only too. Yeah. Like you can just show up, but like culture. you might not get yeah. in. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. yeah, I know somebody almost. Well, hell yeah, that brings us to Overrated, Overrated Underrated on the Producer Grind Podcast with Aaron Reed. Overrated, underrated, we present you with five topics. You okay. simply respond overrated or underrated, mm-hmm. and then if we feel it merits further discussion, we'll just ask you to explain. Okay. All right, so we have Overrated, Underrated on the Producer Grind Podcast with Aaron Reed. Overrated, underrated. Live I saw instruments. your first one already, so I'm just going to go ahead and say underrated. All right, talk because we knew he was going to say, Wait, say it. What was it? What was the it? first one was live instruments. Oh, okay. He looked, but he knew he was supposed to. But let me just make it clear. Like, I don't want to hear a whole band. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I would like to some hear certain days. things. A bass, a real bass, mm. a real guitar, maybe some real horns and a piano. Like, that's cool. Like, it shouldn't be like a whole bunch. It shouldn't be Justice League where they do the whole <laughs> orchestra. You know what I'm saying? The whole orchestra. That I'm not with. I, I don't like that. Mm. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we was just making that analogy like you know some of us have been, make, been making beats for longer than other people right and we start to notice like when we go and do or have our events right you got younger guys that come and they get it but the trap sound is it's a little more simple a little you know just a little less you got guys that come in with like the, the 89 on. transitions and the <laughs> intro and it's just like I don't think they doing that no more bro <laughs> I was like Rick Ross uh, <laughs> so. I'm gonna give you an example like Turbo Turbo is like one of my favorites. Why? Because he like starting to make guitars more popular again. Mm-hmm. And like Gunna is like my favorite rapper. So like I really, really, really push for that. Mm-hmm. And since that started, I've been doing it for a while, but like I feel like now it's acceptable. You've been doing what? Pushing for I've been pushing the guitar with oh, the okay. 808 yeah, yeah. sound for a while. I've I've been that's been my thing. Like mm-hmm. live instruments, but like mixing grunge or rock and all this stuff with trap and art like I've been pushing it for a while on different artists, as, as I told you before, yeah. but now it's acceptable, and I feel like now is the perfect time to strike. Mm-hmm. So live instruments are in. Did you have um, artists at first with the pu- pushing back on that? Um, yeah, for sure. They and didn't why, get it. And why would why they say that? Just because they didn't understand? They just didn't or? get it. Yeah, they just mm-hmm. didn't get it. You know? Like, they just didn't understand at that at that point probably what it was. and Or it might have just not been the one, too. You know what I'm saying? Uh, it... it it might have just not painted the best picture for what for that artist. What, yeah, you that know what I'm saying. Do you, do you think artists are impatient sometimes? Definitely. So because I'm I'm just thinking live instruments. The first thing I would think artists say, okay, man, let's. You know what I'm saying? You know, they <laughs> hey want man, to be, look, I know you fly on a guitar. Let's yeah, let's pick yeah, it up. Definitely. Yep. Mm-hmm. All right. Overrated. Underrated. A and R is in 2018. Um. <laughs> underrated. Because there's a lot of A&Rs that don't have positions. Mm. You know, a lot of A&Rs are producers. A lot of A&Rs are songwriters and artists. Mm-hmm. So I would say that the A&R is underrated because just because I get paid as an A&R doesn't mean that I don't use my producers as an A&R too. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So I would say underrated. Mm. Overrated, underrated on the Producer Grind podcast with Aaron Reed. The XXL freshman list. Overrated. <laughs> Talk about it. 
I just feel like too many people use that as like the holy grail for like making it in 2018 as a rapper, like as a popular, like, I, and people get hurt about it too. And they be mad when they don't get on it, right? And I just think it's corny that, I think it's corny that we kind of allowed these people to dictate the future for us. Mm-hmm. And I just don't think that we shouldn't have it in their hands anymore. I don't remember who was on it this year. Cause I just, I, I'm trying to remember, but there I feel were, like- I what, feel like there were a lot of people on there that people wanted. And then there was like three or four people that were like, that should have been on there. Yeah. Right, right. You know what I mean? Like, where did you come from? When do you like, feel like Double uh, XL started to go wrong? Like, when did you feel like the XL, the, the freshman list kind of faded? The last couple ones, like, I think. the last yeah. two, three years? The last, maybe the last two or three years. They were right about a few. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I can't say that they're wrong. They're right about a few. I just feel like some of them are just kind of like, where are they? Mm. Where are they now? Like, I saw OG, uh, OG Mako on one of the, like two, three, I was like, where is he now? Like he's in Tokyo. Like, you know, like, so I don't know. Those phone calls. Like, yo, we're making a list. What do you think? Um, I haven't actually been a part of that. Okay. No, I, I haven't been a part of that process. And, and I've never really like, of course, like, you know, I've skinny was pitched for double XL. Right. Um, and it was like, he had, his record Love Blast out. It was it already, you know, had a couple million streams, but he had no visual out. So it was just like, it, 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 it didn't fit for him at that moment, you know? Mm. Um, but I just, they kind of, um, they're just kind of elite, mm-hmm. elitist mentality, mm-hmm. you know? They're just like, you know, whatever. How it's you, whatever to me. How do you feel about artists like OG Mako, you know, where they kind of like their American fan base has dwindled, but they're overseas, you know? I mean, I think it, I think as an artist, and I think it's, I think it's amazing, first of all, that you can continue to have a career like outside of America and you can make money, you can be happy, you can live, but your relevance in America dies after you just do that. It just does, you Mm -hmm. know? And so it's like, do, I'm not going to tell you to not, you have to live your life and do what you have to do, but just don't expect to be taken as serious as you were, Mm -hmm. you know, when you try to come back, you know, because it's like you left for so long and you're not. Mm-hmm. Your music doesn't even sound the same. You're not even the same type of person. Like, you know? Mm-hmm. So, huh. Overrated, underrated on the Producer Grind podcast with Aaron Reed. Artist development. Underrated. Completely. Because Hitco is artist development. That's what we're doing now. I could name for I could name a few artists, you know, for you that we have that are um, you know, they're doing really, really well right now. And they're still developing too, because they're not they're not there yet. There's mm. they're they're building so much every day that they're just perfecting their craft and every day they're getting better and better. You know, so artist development is so important for people like Light Skin Keisha, people like Skinny from the Nine, people like Coco Vanga, people like Yellow Beezy, people like Whoop or Crazy Black, my artists. Like there's just so many different people that are like, you're there and you're just developing to get better and better and better and better and better. But you're developing in front of people's eyes as opposed to you being like you know, in um, choreography eight times a day mm-hmm. and, and, you know, people don't see you for three mm-hmm. years later. You know what I'm saying? It's like you, you get to, I think artist development is you growing with the artists when they come out mm-hmm. as opposed to where they are later. Like Travis Scott was developing in front of people's eyes. 21 Savage is a, first, is a person that comes to mind. Absolutely. When you listen to his stuff in 2016 to where it's at now. 100%. Development. difference. But that's development right there. You know what I mean? Perfect. Artist development is completely underrated because you're like, you're not just going to find it ready. Mm -hmm. You're not. Like, you're just not. 
they're going to get better. Even if you feel like they're incredible, they're mm-hmm. going to get even better. Mm-hmm. And that's one thing that my dad told Travis, like, yo, you're amazing, but you're just going to get better. And this is scary. Mm-hmm. You know, so like artist development is very real and we should definitely be pushing to develop artists and not just looking for the the perfect, you know, situation. You know, we have to make the perfect situation sometimes, you know? What does that raw star power look like to you then when somebody's still unpolished, but I can see a thing in them? That thing is what? It's that hunger. It's that that thing in their eyes that's just like they want it, you know, and they're willing to do the most to go get it. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm going to tell you something. Light skin Keisha, mm-hmm. she's going to win big because she wants it. Mm-hmm. Coco Vanga is going to win big because he wants it. I'm a fan like, of Coco Vanga. I'm telling you, like, these are people that I'm with every day. They're people I work with. They're extremely hard workers and they're not comfortable and they want more and they're just going to keep working to get it. And those are the artists that are great, you know? One thing I like about those people you just mentioned, I've probably watched them and tried to more become fans of them as people than Correct. I have with their music. Correct. And I've noticed that with a lot of artists the last few years, like, First, I like them. Mm-hmm. Then I go listen to their music. I think that's very important, bro. Yeah. I think it's really important because sometimes after you stop liking an artist's music, you still want to like them. You know? That's true. They're still a brand at the end of the day. Even when they're not necessarily relevant or streaming or they're not almost <laughs> necessary, you still know them. Mm. Like Wiz. Or like mm-hmm. some of these artists that are just legends. You know what I mean? They're not going to change. You're, you're, you're still a legend. But there's just other people that they may listen to. Who was you know? talking to us about, they were like, talking about someone with Wiz, but they were like, finally after a while, you just realized it's not the one song that people like Wiz for. They fuck with Wiz. Correct. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? 100%. And once, you're, once people fuck with your brand, man, if you want to sell them used tires, don't <laughs> sell them used tires. Don't buy it. Because music is a platform, man. Yeah. You know? And like Rocky used music as a platform to get into fashion. Like, Wiz used music as a platform to get into weed culture and everything else that he's into, you know? So, I mean, it, you know, you're never going to lose your, your, your superstar power. You're just going to forfeit your music. <laughs> One area to grow. <laughs> you know what I'm yeah. saying? Yeah. Like, yeah. you know, it just, you know. And lastly, well, as far as artist development, oh, as far as artist development, are you ever interested in developing people that have raw talent, but no following, no, you know, no streams? Yeah, absolutely. Like, I just met this artist um, two days ago. His name is Macnell. He's like a brand new rapper. OG Parker played him for me. He's super dope. And he's not like, you know, he doesn't have a huge following or anything, but he's like, he's good. Mm-hmm. So what I would do is, you know, I'm since I'm a producer and I have producers, I'll give him some beats, put him in my studio. Let's work for a few days and see if we make a hit. If we do, then I can help, you know, get you a deal. Mm-hmm. And if you get the deal, then I can help upstream your record and then I can put it out. Like, it's just so much we can do. Yeah, that's real. Dope. You know? Lastly, an overrated, underrated, selling beats online. Uh, selling beats online can be burnt. So I'm going to say overrated, yeah. you know? Because, like, YouTube-type beats and, like, all these, like, it's just too weird selling beats online necessarily. When, and okay, so let me be specific. I sell beats online. Mm-hmm. Like people hit me up on Instagram or like whatever and they're like, "Oh, I want some beats." Like I'll sell you some beats through there. Um but like I'm not putting it on like Beatport or any of these like little you know, little websites <laughs> yeah, where you can like yeah. go download it and lease it and yeah. for 5 it's like bucks there's no and human then, interaction. Yeah, in no, there. I'm not doing that cuz mm. I don't want my music. My sound is not supposed to be given to everybody. Mm. You know what I mean? It's got to be exclusive. I got to hold it. You know, it's for the A-list or for the up and coming, period. 
Mm-hmm. You know? That was the overrated, underrated segment of the Producer Grind podcast featuring f- Aaron Reed. Oh, my bad. Go ahead. Go ahead. Do you feel like, um, I don't know, it feels like. Am I answering these questions correctly, by yeah, the way? Yes. If I'm doing too much, just let me know. No, you're no. doing great. I'm learning right, cool, so cool. much. Cool. I was yeah, making too. me think. I was just thinking. Yeah, like, yeah. I got so much on my mind while you guys are throwing me these questions. It's like things that I deal with on the daily, mm. you know, because like, man, it's just so much. Go ahead. Do you, do you even <laughs> see like I, when you... Okay, when do you stop seeing people look for beats online and just start solely looking for producers like someone I know or I know this person through this person? Um, <clears throat> or do you even get them at the point, like once you're involved, are they even looking online anymore? No. Mm. no. If I'm involved with you, there's no more looking online. You don't need to. Because my job is I'm going to make sure you never have to do that again, mm. you know? Mm. That's a big part of my job. Mm. Like, mm. listen, I'm going to take you from here to here. Like skinny. I took skinny from SoundCloud to Spotify to the radio. Like, you know, he had love blast when I met him and then I gave him back when I was broke. And then now it's like over here. Now we're six, seven million streams up. Now it's just like, I just took him from this world to this world. Like he was paying for beats like through PayPal or something. And mm. now, now I'm paying producers through, you know, our recording budget. You know what I mean? Mm. So it's just different. So talk talk to us a little more about Skinny. I mean, you uh, brought him up a few times here. So talked about, you know, how you, um, you know, started with him and got him to where he's at. Um, so Skinny was the first artist technically signed to Hitco. My dad signed Skinny the beginning of the year. He met him. Skinny had like five deals on the table with different labels. Mm. Um, Love Blast was doing, doing well. Um, and it was like, you know, I was like, man, this kid is really talented. When I met him, I was like, he's talented. There's something, something about him is really dope. Then, you know, I was kind of like at that point where I was like, you know what? Let me, let me work on him. Let me take him. They sent him to Atlanta to come work with me. And the first session we had, I gave him a single back when I was broke. And that was just like the beginning of our relationship. After that, it was like every day talking to him every day, you know, putting, put him in the studio getting beats from this producer, that producer, putting them in lab with, it's just our relationship started at that point. Cause he was just like, man, I trust this dude. The first session we ever had, he gave me my arguably probably the biggest record that he's had that people know of him. You know what I mean? Mm. The ones that do know about him, they know this song, you know? So, um, yeah, it's interesting, man. Skinny is incredible though. When you're working with an artist and we're talking about like a skinny, he's new, like, how much do you let them him do his own thing? How much do you let that artist do their own thing? How much are you coaching? Um, I'm definitely coaching. Definitely coaching. Um, I let him do his own thing um, as long as it's within reason. Mm-hmm. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, he he already lives his life. He, he's got money. He's happy. He's, you know, but when it comes to, like, you know, making smart moves with, you know, making business moves yeah. or... Um, like delivering a record the right way and not just being comfortable the first time you do it. Like, you know, mm. let's, let's, let's nail it. Mm. Let's do it one more time. Okay. I'll fly out to LA so we can do it one more time. Mm. Like, you know, I'm that but, type of dude. I'm not just going to settle for, you know, less mm-hmm. he, he, skinny is skinny is not one of those artists. That's just, you know, he's not here. He wants to be up here. Mm-hmm. He's up here. His mentality is I'm going to do whatever I have to, t- you know, whatever I have to, to make sure it's great. You know? Yeah. I've heard, you know, 
I try to find this balance too, because um, I've heard a lot of people like you that you know are really into like, yeah, let's do it again, let's try to nail it. And then you hear artists like Gucci, you know, I've heard him say like, I never, I'll never ever go back and, and edit a record because I'm in a completely different creative space. I'm mm -hmm. not even on that vibe no more. I'll never go back and touch a record. How do you, how do you uh, feel about that? Um, I feel like that's worked for Gucci in his career, and it won't work for everyone. Mm -hmm. You know, I feel like if you're okay with that, then you're okay with it. Some people are not okay with settling for less. I always believe in pushing my artists to the greatest of their ability. And since I'm an artist and a, song, and a songwriter, I know that sometimes the first one is not the one. Mm. Sometimes you do need to go back to it and perfect it. It may be a smash after you do it. So I don't know. I think it works for, you know, like Wayne, like for example, like, you know, when he was like, sipping lean heavy and like just in the lab I, I doubt he was like going back to records and like trying to you know he was just putting them out right, right. and I think that that helped him and hurt him because there was a quality control issue that he had a lot of records out but you know they weren't all a1 mm. there was a lot of records but there were very few of them that were like up here you know what I mean mm. lollipop you know may have may or may not have happened one or one time you know what I'm saying he may mm. have to do it a couple of times. Like, I think that everything is subjective. If it's a freestyle, then you can do it one time. But if this is a record that you need to deliver that maybe you didn't write, then you need to please more than just yourself. You have to please the writer, the label. You got to make sure that the record is right. <laughs> you know? You do. That makes me want to ask about the writing process, right? And so <clears throat> we had Staffa um, in here um, a few months ago. And he was telling us the his kind of oral history of the punch in uh, type takes, and you know I started my career in the Midwest where mm -hmm. you didn't. Sh I was in Chicago. You didn't show up to a studio if your verse wasn't written. Um, <laughs> are you seeing? You know, are most of your artists punch in artists? Are they writing first? What's what's happening? What's interesting is a lot of my artists are rap, and they just rap. I actually have to tell them to punch because I want the clearest take. I don't care if you can do it from top to bottom. You may run out of breath. Mm. Stop after the first two bars and punch. Why? Because it's about the recording, not about you showing me if you can do it or not. Mm. I want the better song. Mm. Do these two lines. You ran out of breath. You, you heard that, right? Mm. Okay, listen to yourself. <laughs> listen to yourself. Okay, cool. Do these first two lines. Stop right there. Next two. Next two. Next two. Next two. All right, finish. And you're cool with that even if they're writing as they go? Yeah. Yeah. Heck Yeah. I don't, man, it's not about showing off. It's not about, yo, I can do this in one take. I don't want it necessarily in <laughs> one take. It, mm -hmm. It's just, just stay in there for an extra 10 minutes and we'll get it done. Were you ahead of the curve on that? Mm-hmm. Talk about it. Because Stafford gave this kind of oral history, whereas he painted the picture, you can remember those records and how they went by and how the artist changed by doing it this way. Uh, wait, what do you mean by that? So, like... <laughs> I, was, I was in the studio with uh, T. Hood this weekend, right? Someone says, someone says, someone. All right, run it back. All right, someone says, okay. And then I spit the line. Yeah. Then I start writing the next one, right? And mm -hmm. so. That's dope. Yeah. So when I say ahead of the curve, like you were doing that with artists, say, six, seven years ago mm -hmm. when it wasn't like the norm. Mm -hmm. Okay. And so how did I, mean, I, I was standing next to Future, like he would be in the booth and it would just literally be me, him, and an engineer. And I'd be like, do that again. That was hard, but do that one more time. If you had to compare yourself, are you into sports? Kind of. 
if you had to compare yourself to any NBA coach or any coach of all time <sighs> or a quarterback or something, who would you compare yourself to? Man, I, I honestly, I would sound so crazy trying to do that because I just don't know enough right, about it. You <laughs> I was know just what I'm thinking saying? when I asked that, I was like, dang, you don't really, I don't really know too many coaches. So I hope you say something <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know enough about it. You know, mm. I just like, I'll take my dad, for example. My dad is... Phil Jackson. My dad, in in my opinion. That's the Lakers, is, right? Yeah. My, okay. Bulls, it was 96 Bulls. 96, 97, 98 Yeah, see, that's, but, why, this but, is what I was thinking about in my head. I it was, like, was 96 Bulls, but he also was Lakers. Yeah. So he was then and he was now. Mm. And he was able to form the greatest then and the greatest now. Mm-hmm. I look at my dad as the greatest coach ever. And me, I'm a player that's learning how to be the coach. Mm. So what, I, what do you think makes him great? Like, if you can name three things that make him great, what is it? Aside from being like, oh, he has a good ear. He can hear this, that. And leadership the skills. His leadership skills. Like, when things are frantic and people don't know what to do, it's like, okay, listen. You got to know how to lead your team. You know what I'm saying? He has great leadership skills. Like, making it take away all the distractions. Don't think about all this. Just think about this for one second. Um, mm. So, leadership, vision, because, you know, he, he has the vision You know what I'm saying? He really has a vision and he conveys that vision to everyone else and then they follow. Um, You know you have that too, right? Yeah. yeah, Okay, yeah. (laughs) It's like, oh yeah, you you can see some shit that other people can't see. It's a blessing. Thank you for saying that. I just like, you know, it's, it's like a, it's, it's hard. It's, you know, it's a double-edged sword. It's a double-edged sword, man. You know, Um, but um, the third thing. Leadership vision. Yeah, leadership vision and then I would say, you know, taste level, like you knowing like what's really, really, really dope for real. Um, like not just taking, you know, what he calls the low hanging fruit, like the easy mm. way out, mm-hmm. like, you know, taking a challenge, like somebody like Travis who didn't break for four years or, tra- or you know, three years and future, you know, just different people, DJ Khaled, like you're just, you know, taking a chance on something, you know what I mean? So I think those are the things that make him incredible. His his leadership, his vision, and um and his taste level. Mm. You know? Mm. So that brings us to the Arm Factor from the Producer Grind Podcast. Are you familiar with Arm Factor, sir? Uh like I heard about it, but explain it. <laughs> <laughs> so you have 30 seconds. You have to talk the entire 30 seconds about the topic that we give you. You can't stop longer than for longer than one second. You can't say um, you can't say ah. How I can't say what? Ah. So, um, <laughs> so how many topics do you, you, only, you one topic. It's just one topic. Right, one topic. Cool. What's the topic? Now we got so, 30 topics. <laughs> <laughs> so here, here's the topic. Um, how has the process of making a record changed since you were a kid and being able to watch your family make records? I'll say it again. So, so uh, let me simplify the question. You got to watch records get made when you were growing up. Yeah, right? Yeah. And now the process is different. Yeah. Right. So ready? All right. We have Aaron Reed on the Um Factor on the Producer Grind Podcast. Three, two, one. I'll start by saying that the process of making records now is different from where it used to be because we're not cutting tape. We're not using boards. We're using Pro Tools, laptops, mics, USBs. It's much quicker. We get things done quicker. We're a fast generation. We want instant gratification. And we want things quickly. Five, we can four, come up with three, lines on the spot. Two, 
finish the beat in seconds. So you remember when they was really putting tapes on a junk and they had to cut the man, man that's crazy. I mean, how long did it take to make a record? A long time. I, by the way, I was like, I only saw that shit when I was a kid, like mm. a couple times. Like my mom and dad had to do that shit all the time. You know, uh. the engineers were like having the engineers are a huge part of all this shit. We didn't really talk about engineers. Like, well, yeah, let's talk about that. Let's talk about that. Without engineers, you don't got shit. Mm-hmm. And if we you see- don't have a great engineer as a producer. Like, if you don't have a great engineer to help everything come to life, you're fucked. Like, and that's just when you get to the hit making point. Mm-hmm. If you're just making beats and stuff like that, you should be able to mix on your own. But when you're like in the seat, you got to have a relationship with an engineer. My first relationship with an engineer that made me better, that I made better, was Pierre Bourne. Mm. I hired Pierre to be my engineer two years ago at Epic. And from there, that was when I, I pretty much started him off there. Um, and like, we worked hard as fuck every day for like a year and a half, every single day in the studio, so many hours, like, you know, and through that process, we learned how to really perfect songs. Not only that, he learned how to write better records, produce better records, engineer better records. He worked with so many different artists that by the time we, you know, parted ways, he was ready to go work with Cardi. He was ready to go work with Uzi. He was ready to go work with Kanye. Like, you know what I mean? Because I literally put him through everything he needed to learn for the industry. Yeah. And it wasn't a favor. Like, he he had a job. You know what I mean? This is your job. Like, you're my engineer. I need you. I need you, bro. I, I got a record that I got to turn in. Or, or, you know, let's start this record from scratch. Me and him would do just guitar tracks just all day, just guitar. And then I would just do vocals. Like, man... Engineers are so important, you know, like Seth for future, mm-hmm. like Seth is responsible for not just future, but Seth also, um, you know, put all the sounds on ATL Jacobs computer. He put mm-hmm. Richie South's whole, like, like Southside sound, Metro sound would not be what it is without Seth, mm-hmm. you know, in those records. So I just like the engineer is so important. Now, what so, about, so important. I got a question for like, let's say you're an engineer and let's say you like, you're a personal engineer for someone. How I find it to be, if I was an engineer and you just get the call, like, yo, I need you right now. How does that work for an engineer? How's that, re- how's that affect the relationship? Cause I know there's just gotta be some pushback. What do you mean? If the engineer gets a call, like yeah, I need like, you right let's now. Say it's like two o'clock in the morning. I'm an engineer. I'm knocked out. Okay. But you're like, yo, I got this. I need this right now, right here. And now, how do you find the balance between not, it's not taking advantage of, but just being courteous of someone else's time. And then, from the engineer standpoint too, like how do you deal with those situations? Man, I know that can really tear up some relationships. I think think it definitely tears up relationships and like you have to be mindful of people's lives, right? But when you're sometimes working really hard, you forget about shit and you forget that it's 2 a.m. and that you're not really supposed to call people and ask them to show up, (laughs) but you're going to do it anyway because you got to do it. And if that person fucks with you, they're going to show up for you. I I think it's just based on where everyone is at with it. The engineer knows that things happen unexpectedly all the time. So I think they're ready for those calls as opposed to not being ready. You know what I'm saying? They're Mm -hmm. like, they're, they're willing to take those calls at 3 a.m. Like if I call my engineer right now, you know, his name is Denver. Denver who? Denver moon. Denver moon. Yeah. Yeah. That's my boy. So if I call Denver right now and I said, yo, I need, I have an hour to do this. He's going to be there. Mm -hmm. 
no matter where I'm at, no matter what I need done, it's going to get done. Because he knows Denver saw what I did with Pierre. You know, and like when people, when you see that, it's like, yo, this nigga knows what he's doing. I'm going to listen to him. So I'm going to show up, you know? So I don't know. It's just, it's just really important, man. Really important. One question I always have, you know, because you said yourself, you know, engineers bring a lot to the, to the record. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Sometimes they put their own creative twist on it. Mm-hmm. How do you feel about engineers not typically getting royalty points on a record? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't always think that that is necessary in case, if they didn't like mix it as well. Because I feel like if they tracked it, it's one thing. So mixing engineers, they get points? Well, they might get points, but they also get a fee for mixing. Right. It really just depends on what the situation is. You know what I mean? Because getting points, right, is something that a creator does usually. If you didn't actually create it, then you don't usually get that point, right? Some people do. But the way that I work, I don't don't really do that. The, The engineer is already getting taken care of. He gets paid. If we use your mix, then you get your mix fee and you get your credits. If we get Grammy nominated, then you get a Grammy. If you, you know what I'm saying? It's just like, I do have a couple of questions about that one. Yeah. So if we, so you may have an engineer that doesn't mix. You don't even use their particular mix. You might have. Mm-hmm. Okay. And like then, you have, like I might have Denver track the vocal, but then I would send it to somebody like John Fry or send it to somebody like Preston over at Triangle, you know, with Tricky, like, so that they can mix the vocal, or Jason Joshua, who mixes and masters, you know what I mean? So you have the track engineers, you have the people that do that, and then you have the other side of it. But sometimes the tracking engineer is so good that you just end up using their mix. Like, for instance, my engineer, Swank, my my brother Swank, he Mm. engineered Skinny for back when I was broke. Mm. I gave those files to a big master mix master engineer that we paid a whole bunch of money to. And he sent it back and I hated it. Mm. And I stayed with the demo. I stayed with the original one. So I got my brother got paid for his mix. Did y'all, once you didn't like the first mix, did you do anything to that original mix? You just left it how it was. Once I didn't like the, the mix that the I got from the big mix, one, yeah. I, I kept everything the same and I just had them, you know, mastering is just going to boost whatever you do. So I didn't have them mix it. I just sent this to mastering, mm. <laughs> you know? So I literally just took it and brought it up a few DBs or whatever it happened, cleaned it up, and then that's it. And so the second question I had was at Dylan's point. We hear a common story a lot is like the engineer like sequenced the record. The engineer took the part out the verse and made the hook. You that's, know what I'm that's saying? That's producing. Okay. Which Pierre is was great at that too. Like there's engineers that are producers. I prefer to work with people that are not just engineers, but also producers. Okay. So you understand the format of the song and you understand how to manipulate. Cause you don't have to, you don't have to go by the book. You can change the shit up. You can do whatever you want. You know what I mean? And the engineers that try shit are the ones that are fired to me. Like yeah. there's a lot of dope engineers in Atlanta that are like, looked at as producers too. All right. So let's say you have a you have a record, right? You okay. give it a B. And then you have an engineer who's more than just an engineer, he's a producer, he has the whole vision. Yeah. He takes that record from a B to an A plus. Do you feel he should be paid on royalties? I I would yeah. I I would. I'm fair. I I would I would look at what happened before and after and be like, "Okay, if it wasn't for you, this record wouldn't have gotten done." Added and I sauce. would take care of him, for sure. Fair enough. It doesn't always happen like that. But 
if it was something super, super major, then yeah, I would. I would, you know? On top of him getting paid for if we use his mix or whatever it is, I would also make sure that he got some type of royalty or some type of pub, you know? Definitely. So uh, we've seen that you... um... Really, Pierre should have gotten some pub off of some of the records that I did because I got record deals off of some of the music we did. Mm. Mm. You know, it was our work together, but, you know... Pierre structured it properly. Mm. So I, I have to credit him for that. Mm. Yeah. So we uh we heard that you know you were uh scheduled to release a solo project through yeah. Epic. Yeah. I don't know how long ago it was, but two um, years ago. Uh can you just talk about uh you know why you know it didn't happen there and then why you didn't release it under your, your next situation? Um so I was A and R for Epic, like I told you, and then I moved to Atlanta. That's when I was at Twelve Studios. That's when I had my what, office. What prompted the move? Um, I wanted to expand Epic and bring it to Atlanta because I felt like a lot, I was hearing a lot of people say that Atlanta was not the place where labels were anymore and that there were not, you know, no one was getting paid here. There were no labels. And I felt like me and my dad consciously, you know, we made a decision like we need to build in Atlanta. I need to be in Atlanta, getting all the talent, bringing everybody together so that we can expand the label and, you know, we can have a studio here and we can, you know, I think five or six of our artists were here at that time. So it just made sense for us to have everybody recording out of the studio. It was cost efficient. It just made sense, you mm-hmm. know, plus this is where I'm from. So I, I felt comfortable coming back home, but, um, uh, shit, what, what were, yeah. Um, so why did you never drop the, um, album? Oh, okay. And then why didn't you drop it after you left? So, Epic? um, we left Epic. Um, my dad left Epic um, f- top of the year, a little bit before top of the year, I got a record deal in my last year of being an A&R. Um, there was a song that I wrote for Justin Bieber that I played for my dad and I, I sent it to him and he didn't listen to it. Right. Mm-hmm. And then we were at the BMI awards at dinner, like after the BMI awards, I was like, did you ever listen to that song I sent you? He was like, Oh no, play it for me right now. And I played like 10 seconds of it. He was like, yo, what the fuck is this? I was like, I wrote it. It's mm-hmm. a song that I wrote. He was like, no, 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 no. He started, <laughs> he, he started it over. He was like, this shit is fucking amazing. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, it's, it's hard. It's dope. Like, <laughs> I've been telling you, I'm fine. It's <laughs> guitar and vocal, just me. Mm-hmm. Me and guitar. And it, me and me and Ink. If you know Ink, shit, yeah, we wrote yeah. it together. So, like, he was like, this is fucking crazy. Like, this sounds amazing. You know, it was like some, like, it was some real shit. Ink got some crazy vocals. Yeah. Yeah, she's crazy. So... After after he heard that, he was like shocked, completely mm-hmm. shocked, right? Then the next day, the next couple of days, I started getting calls from people at the label. Like one of the girls that's the head of, you know, all of our you know, streaming relationships with Apple and Spotify. She called me. She was like, yo, your music is amazing. What you want to do? What are we doing? I get a FaceTime from like somebody in legal and they're FaceTiming me like, in the office and they're playing my music. I'm like, oh shit, this is <laughs> this is crazy. Like they're they're playing my music and they're not playing it as a demo. They're like, his voice sounds so great that we want to put this out. Mm. So it had me like fucked up. I was like, damn. So then they offered me a deal. They put a deal on the table for me. I, I got a lawyer. I went sat down. Like everything was like moving. Um and it was like I went from being AR to being an artist. So at that point, there was a lot happening for me. I had an engineer, Pierre, who was a producer at that time. 
uh, an engineer and I was like, yo, they just got, I just got offered a record deal. Mm -hmm. So like, I'm not going to be working at Epic anymore in the studio. I'm actually going to go rent a studio house and just work on my album there. And then from there, that's when me and Pierre split and he was not, he didn't want to come with me. Mm -hmm. Um, Cause I was just focused on myself at that point. You know, I had to, it was like, yo, we got, we did, it worked. Like it, it worked and now you're leaving me. And I was like heartbroken. So I had to work with a new engineer on my album and it was like going well. And then, um, you know, my dad was like, you know, I'm not going to be staying, you know, much longer basically. And then. They put you in a hell of a position. They put they? me in a position because yeah. I'm negotiating a deal. And, you know, if, if, if the head of the company leaves and I just happen to be his son and I'm, I have a deal on the table for a lot of money, it's kind of just like, they don't know what to do. And right. we ended up just not doing the deal. So, um, how do you feel about that? It's crazy, but you know what? I feel good because everything happens for a reason. I really didn't, wasn't focused on myself as an artist at that point. I was only producing and songwriting. So I didn't even want to take the step yet. I was like kind of over it. I was like, you said when you were working on it, you said it again? You said you weren't focused on being an artist. I, I was I was doing AR, producing and songwriting. I wasn't like looking for a record. This was like so when you so when you said so when you, so when you and um so when you and Pierre split, you said you were I thought you said you were focused on being a more of an artist. No, like I was I was doing AR, right? Mm -hmm. And then this opportunity presented itself. Mm -hmm. Then I was just like, well shit, I I kind of have to just focus on me as an artist. So but prior to that, I was only focused on producing and writing. I wasn't mm -hmm. focused on being an artist really anymore, right? So when the situation came, I shifted my focus and I was like more in, you know, my art on my artistry. And then it didn't work out. And then I just went back to producing and songwriting mm -hmm. basically because I was just like, I didn't really want to put my full self into it anyway at that point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So let me just focus on creating and helping other artists and doing my shit. And that's... That's what's that's what I do now. It was like a hidden blessing Omar. It was a hidden blessing because honestly, if you look at the situation, if my dad would have left the company, I would have been stuck in a situation with somebody I didn't want to be with. Mm -hmm. And they wouldn't have got my music. You know, they wouldn't have understood me. They already looked at me like I was a Lenny Kravitz or like um, you know, Dallas Austin or like one of those like weird kind of left like producer, songwriter, like guys, you know what I mean? Black Ed Sheeran type shit. Back you know? then, <laughs> now they want that shit. But yeah. you was ahead of the curve once again. I was again. ahead of the curve. I was definitely ahead of the curve. So I anticipated, you know, you never know how an interview is going to go. So I have, this is my last question. <laughs> but I want you to pick your favorite R&B song. Oh, uh, yeah. I was thinking about that when you said that earlier. Um, my favorite R&B song, man. I'll definitely say that, like, You Make Me Wanna is, like, one of my favorite mm. R&B songs. I don't know. You make me want to lead a one. You, you don't know that song? A new I probably hear it. Oh, okay, okay. Bro, you don't know that song? Bro, I'm telling you, I'm like, that's just not what I was on. Well, like, I grew up, that was, that was, you, hey, that was being made in my house. You know what I'm saying? I, so, like, one thing was, with you. One yeah, thing was okay, I that song is because, yeah. like. Why do I love it? Because yeah. it's like guitars, bro. Mm. It's guitars. It's Jermaine Dupree. It's Usher. It's like. It's very well written. It's just fire. It's a yeah. smash. It's like, oh shit. Like this is you like know. niggas been in that situation before. Like I always I, I look for songs that like talk to my shit. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Like that's what touches me. Like, oh damn, I've been now in that burn situation. on the other hand. <laughs> that, was, that was my I, when I was that's, younger. That's not I the hottest album on that but track. I can't even say like somebody like 
I don't know if you ask somebody else and they're like, and they don't really know a lot about R&B and they're like, oh, Bryson Tiller. Like, yeah. Dude, no, that's, that, I kind of wanted to see, yeah, I wanted to see if he was going to say like a new motherfucker too. I, I didn't know if he was going to say Black. I know if he was well, going to say Bruno Mars. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I could have said them. Yeah. But like, I grew up around R&B, so that was the first thing that really hit me. You know what I'm saying? Like stuff like that. Like Usher was like huge to yeah, me. yeah. You know, so I I looked at him like R&B star. Um, so like it wouldn't be a black to me. It yeah. wouldn't be even able, you know, it would be Usher or somebody in that realm. I hate Trey songs. Like I hate the rest <laughs> of them. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Usher is like now he's not, you know, although he's still Usher. I thought Good right? Kisser yeah, was yeah. dope. That's cool. Yeah, really? I'm very, cr- very critical of Usher's music. man. Mm. Very. Because like. I I think he, you know, is is the one. Like Chris Brown is incredible. Like he's he's but if it wasn't for Usher, there would be no Chris. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? If it wasn't for Michael, there would be none of them. Mm-hmm. So like I just feel like if you're gonna take that role, you gotta be really, really, really killing it. Mm-hmm. And Usher killed it for so long. And now now it's time for somebody new. Like now, you know what I mean? Who's your favorite rapper? Right now? Overall. Oh man! Well, the reason why I asked you know everyone always says Tupac and Biggie, but I feel like those are you, not my favorite. That's what rappers. I was gonna say. Like, who do you think? I like, think they're incredible. I know you said Gunner right now. Gunner is like my yeah. like the last in the past few years. He's been my favorite, but I'm not gonna lie. Like Thug was my favorite rapper for a long time, like years. Like when I first heard like Loaded and like all that stuff with like Pee Wee, I was like Thug is just I knew it. And my brother like was like, yo, you're basically gay if you listen to him. I was yeah, like, yeah. all right, bro. Like, if that's what you think, like, <laughs> this nigga is incredible. <laughs> Whatever you like, I, I don't even care what you're talking about. This nigga is the one. But, um, man, one of my favorite rappers overall, I'm going to have to just say Kanye West, bro, honestly. Because mm. he's just so real. Mm. I don't agree with everything he does, but I love him so much. I love Ye. Um, Who do you think the greatest of all time is? Like greatest rapper of all time, um, I'm supposed to say like Jay Z, right? <laughs> you ain't the type of person who's gonna say what you think you're supposed to say. You gonna say what you say? I I I would I think that that's probably correct. I, I think if you I, I think if you're looking at like rappers and not just like being like just standing on the street like rapping, like Jay Z made rap into like a business, mm-hmm. and he like turned into a billionaire. If there was any success story for a rapper, I would say it's probably it Jay-Z. Bro, that's the same thing I said every day. I said when, when hip-hop started, if you could conceive what would be the pinnacle, Jay-Z continues to create it. 100%. Like, to me, he's the walking, talking God MC. That's just my opinion. Jay-Z, he's, he's, you watch this interview, come holla at us. <laughs> I, love, I love Jay. I love Jay. But Kanye, to me, was, like, explosively different and just, mm. like... He was so explosive. Well, he brought that he brought that culture piece. <laughs> he was that we a rock star. I've never heard of that explosively different. I like, like you didn't just want to hear Kanye. You wanted to dress like him. I wanted to dress to... like him. I wanted to go to his shows. I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to shop with him. I wanted to hang out with him. He was that dude. You know what I'm saying? Did you read the article about? Um, or you probably know, but I had read an article a couple weeks ago about the story of Pastel. Uh, I didn't read it. Uh-uh. And it was dope, just how you know. He was really about to put out a clothing line called Pastel. Yeah, and they did a bunch of pieces for it. Yeah, and so somebody did like this oral history. They talked to all the people, and it would have been dope. It's just Kanye was almost like too creative. Mm. You know what I'm saying? Like he couldn't kind of focus the vision. 
And so they say that like the Yeezy brand is what, you know, pastel began at. I can see that. Because yeah. if you look at like the color schemes that they use, they use pastel yellows and like green and gray. And like, he, I can see that for sure. And he was hiring but designers. Yeezy, the fact that like Kanye West has the most successful sneaker ever mm. next to a Jordan, right? Yeah. Like, I think he actually right now he's doing better than Jordan. I, I think he he's bigger than Jordan yeah. in terms of sneakers. That's pretty incredible, bro. He's as a, as he a rapper, basketball. As a, ra- basketball. as a rapper, I would have to say that not only does he make a shoe that like athletes could wear, but he also makes a fashion shoe that people can like walk around in and like live their life and like just be fly. And Kanye is the pinnacle so of rap to me. Would you wear slides to a wedding? No, <laughs> I wouldn't. That's you see, you see this shit. You know, mm. he's, yeah, he's promoting those new slides. But you know, it's like it's Virgil. It's yeah. it's all you know. He's testing out the new Vuitton shit. You know what I mean? Like, and it's marketing. I like because he knows every block. I like it. Covered, I love. Know? Like I said, I love everything that Kanye does. So I don't take that disrespectful. I'm like, he was on his like St. Bart's Central. Well, there needs to be a thing where like like Kanye gets a pass. Like he can just kind of try some shit for sure. <laughs> For sure, for sure. Yes. But you wouldn't wear flip-flops to it. No, I, I wouldn't wear flip-flops. I like the suit. I like the suit. Go check I know it. people that wear flip-flops every day. And if I'm I walked into work... Right Shouts out to JB and Dylan. <laughs> you wear flip-flops every day? Pretty much, man. Yeah. If I wore that, I would be looked at as like, yo, what are you doing, bro? Mm. I can't walk into my office with flip-flops. I'm sorry. <laughs> I can't. They just wouldn't... They'd be like... What are you doing, bro? Like, what? You know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like I just trip too much. I get tired of just tripping. <laughs> That's another thing. Just falling down looking crazy. But it's, yeah. You are, you like an online shopper? Do you be like tearing down the mall? No, I don't go to the mall usually. The mall is why. I, I, I oh, definitely, is dead. I definitely do online shopping. I shop on apps and like Grailed and like eBay and stuff like that a lot. Um, but I like to go see what's up. Mm-hmm. I go to the stores. See how um, it fits. Can you can you give the viewers one style tip? Just some some a little sauce, a little juice. <laughs> huh? Like I mean, you said gra- you said grilled. Yeah, grilled. Okay. You ever heard of that? No, I have. Want to check it out? You heard of grilled, right? Like I used to be really into sneakers too. I'm not really into sneakers that much anymore. My little brother's like more into sneakers than I am now. But like, I don't know. I would just say like, it's not about like how much you spent on it. It's about how you wear it. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like I shop at vintage stores and thrift stores and stuff, and I find like T-shirts that put it this way, like I spend money on things that you might think are dumb, right? Like I'll buy a four hundred dollar vintage T-shirt just because I know that it's an original shirt. It may have even came from the band. Somebody may have worn it. Like I want to know that it has some type of attachment to it, so that's why I'll spend my money. Some somebody else might go buy a Fendi belt. Or go buy something that I wouldn't buy. I'd be like, that's stupid. You know, but you look at what I'm wearing and you might not know it is as expensive as it is. And it really is. I just like that. It's understated too. You know what I'm saying? It doesn't have like big logos on Mm. it. You know, you might not know like that t-shirt right there, like could be, you know, obviously I can tell it's not, but like it could have been. (laughs) No, I'm serious. But it could have been an original vintage that cost three, four hundred dollars, like that you got from somewhere, and niggas don't know it. Yeah. Like, you know what I'm saying? You ever heard of Versus Atlanta? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Versus, isn't that like Versace? No, Versus. Oh no, Versus no, I never Atlanta. heard of it. 
It's low five points. No, not low five points. East Atlanta Village. Yeah. You talking about like the vintage T-shirts, vintage versus, Supremes. Versus. They Literally. they had like a whole like the sweatsuit that the American teams wore uh-huh. during the '96 Olympics. Uh-huh. They had the whole sweatsuit. Yeah, they, like like the leather jackets. They collect them all original, all this stuff. I like stuff like that. Yeah, I would definitely see. I like stuff I, like I, that. I, assume, I thought that you would probably shop there. I like hey, can you that ring, the feather? Yeah. yeah. Can you put that up in the camera real quick? For sure. No, that's dope. I've been looking at the whole show. It's just dope. <laughs> Thanks, bro. Thank you. But it's, it's, it's what's a little the, shit. What's, uh, what were you about to say? I was about to ask him what's next for you in 2018. Yeah, exactly. I'm producing, man. I'm producing. I'm just signing. I'm just, man, it's just like, I'm just having fun. Making records. I got a new studio. I got a new company. I got new artists. I'm just like living my life right now, man. I'm, I'm, more, I'm more focused, more happy than I've ever been. And like I have an incredible team. I have a company called Apop. My partner, my me and my partner blessed. Um, we have a company called Apop, and I'm signing a lot of producers and writers and building this roster, you know, of great like youthful creatives. And it's just all of us together. Um, and man, like a lot more people have been reaching out to me about my production, which is really I'm really happy about that. I've been producing and writing for more people and working with artists you know one-on-one in the studio and traveling out to LA like I man I'm just like I'm just really taking everything that I've learned over the last few years and applying everything right now that's basically what I'm doing every day like everybody that works with me knows like yo this nigga Aaron is a beast I don't I don't ever stop my my day starts at 9 a.m and it doesn't end till 4 or 5 a.m you know I go I go I go I go but like one thing I do want to say is in the music industry, like one thing that we don't do is take a break mm-hmm. from our, for ourselves. We don't take a mental break. We don't take a physical break. I feel like it's really important to work hard, but I feel like it's equally as important to take care of yourself and like not burn yourself out. Cause I've been on the other end of that too. You know, it's not good. You don't want to burn yourself out to you keep going, you keep going, you keep going, no, no sleep, no sleep. And then one day you're in the hospital for dehydration. Like it happened to me, you know? Mm. You can't let that happen. You got to really like know your limits and know when you're willing to go hard, go hard, go hard, go hard, and then take a day to yourself. You know, I think that's really important because I even had to learn that. That's not, you're talking to a whole new person because mm-hmm. I never did that, bro. I never lived my life like that because you know why? I never want you guys to think that somebody like me is lazy mm-hmm. and that I'm sitting at home on vacation because that's not me. That's them. I'm in the studio. Know that. I'm in the studio. I'm working. I'm not on vacation. A lot of people are on vacation. You know what I'm saying? So I, I take a break for myself when I can, truthfully. But, but that work ethic, I'm, I'm learning, especially in Atlanta, that's a tremendous, like, trademark to have. Yeah. Because people, like, if people don't respect nothing else, they know you're going to show up and bust your ass. Man, that's all I want, man. All I want is for people to keep coming in here saying, yo, do you guys know Aaron Reed? I swear that's my only goal. My only goal is to just keep going, keep being great forever, like never stopping. That's what's up. Yo, man. What's up? Hey, okay. man, we appreciate you pulling up, man. Thank you, guys. I feel like this is, like, really awesome. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Thank you. Another good, good, episode, good, 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 good. man. Signing out. Cool.